Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Pep. You know, today we are going to be discussing the story of Chachma. The narrative domain of integration. And that's, that's no joke. This entire podcast today is going to be riddled with Chachma. Which is Hebrew for wisdom. Right on. You want to tell us where you got that word? Yes. I got that word from the Bible Project, which we'll be talking about later on in this episode, because we want you all, uh, after you've listened to this episode, to go to the Bible Project and watch this very short video on Proverbs that is beautiful, and it will teach you even more mm. about mm. Chachma. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, uh, that that word, I mean, even, it's, it's interesting, right? Even uh, the Hebrew language requires things of a speaker that our English language doesn't require. And this is true for lots of languages. But the whole idea that you are pronouncing it the way you are, that you're starting literally at the back of your throat yes, to you know bring the word forth means that there's more of you that is involved even in naming what it mm. is that we're talking about. And I think that what we've been trying to get at over the course of our time when we Think about wisdom and all, all the different, the variations of the, the various things that we've been trying to include, whether it's the scriptures, whether it's our embodied kind of interpersonal neurobiological selves, why wisdom is an answer to trauma and shame, all the kind of mental health questions that we have about life and that we are exploring here in this podcast series. Wisdom isn't just about, as it turns out, it's not just this way of being smart about the world. It is really about developing, and this is going to sound kind of mechanical, but it, it really is developing a set of skills for living in the world. And the Hebrews, this, this notion of wisdom begins in Exodus 31 when God is talking, Moses is describing, talking about the formation and construction of the tabernacle. And these artisans that were brought forth and God declares that certain artisans have wisdom, have hachma, when it comes to these skill sets of designing the artistry for the tabernacle. And so what we're talking about with wisdom extends then to this question of developing skill sets for living well in God's world. And as we said here before, that it begins with the fear of the Lord and this is not about being afraid like I'm afraid of a rabid dog, but I am acknowledging that God is God and I'm not. And, you know, we say that just, just kind of like rolls off our tongue. It's, we say it so flippantly that we, um, I often am not aware of all the micro moments in which I'm not choosing God's way in the world. I'm choosing my way, and it's often done quite automatically. I'm not really taking God's view. I'm just living out of my view of the world. And, you know, interestingly enough, it's not just a matter of, we, we, we often think that, oh, wisdom is about like, I, I want to know how to make the, the right choice in situations. What's the, what's the right choice? What's the wrong choice? 
if I'm wise, I can do that. But we also have to recognize that wisdom begins with the choice that I make to be loved or to choose not to allow myself to be loved. Hmm. We're, we're often not aware that when I'm afraid, I'm choosing to believe some narrative in which God either isn't with me or if he is, he isn't for me. And if he is, he's only for me under certain circumstances and typically only circumstances in which I'm doing all the right things. And so I have this kind of grid that I kind of filter God through before I'm willing to allow myself to be loved. And if I don't allow myself to be loved, I walk around believing that I'm not. And that only recycles and strengthens my sense of being afraid and I then tell my story in such a way that, like, I'm not safe. I am not seen. I'm not soothed. I'm not safe. I'm not secure. And I also tell a story about God in which he's a tyrant or he's not trustworthy. He's not faithful. He's like, And without being aware of how much of my own personal story is being mapped onto this. And so when we encounter what we would call in the scriptures, wisdom literature, when we encounter this story, this is a story we would like to say that the, when Jesus talked about the scriptures, he would talk about the law and the prophets. This is how it's often talked about. It's talked about the first five books, the Pentateuch, and then history, the writings, and, and, and the prophets. But wisdom literature is a part that is set aside. It's a different part of scripture. It's not law. It's telling us right from wrong. It's not prophets. It's also teaching us about how to live right from wrong, but it is this accumulated insight of God's people throughout the generations. So it's not just me. It's not, I'm, I'm not just accumulating something for me. That I, I am just kind of what I want to do is to, is to receive from the wisdom of the generations that have preceded me, those others who have learned what it means for us to live wisely, to live well, in God's world. Today we're going to look at in this in this episode we're you know where this the title is the story of wisdom this notion that wisdom is a thing that I incorporate as I tell my story and the way that we tell our story of course is when we when we listen to the Proverbs chapter 30 verses 2 through 3 we have a couple of things that begin with this we say the sayings of Agur A G U R is the, is the name of the of the person who's writing these sayings in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 2 through 3, and he begins with the words, I am a brute. Last time I've been around anybody who's said like, no, I'm just a brute. Right. Um, but he's basically acknowledging, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I am not wise. I don't have all the knowledge that I need. I, I don't know what it's like to live well relationally in the world. Frankly, I don't maybe even know, first of all, what it means for me to live relationally with myself. I was, uh, just this morning before our, our uh, recording, I had the opportunity to be with my spirit, my new spiritual director, Father James. And we, you know, and, and he, he offered a couple of insights to me about, about me and about the world. One of like, that I just hadn't even really considered before. And there's this sense of like here receiving something from someone and it's immediately followed with this like, why didn't I already know that? Why don't, why don't I already, as opposed to just saying, wait, I, I don't know things. 
And there's a certain, if, I, if I'm willing to, to, to um, just kind of like relax into that, if I'm willing to just take a breath and receive that, then I discover if I am able to say I'm a brute, if I'm like, I don't, I don't know, then I'm, I'm not forcing myself to feel like I have to know everything, which is the posture I typically take. I, when, if I think that I'm alone in the world, if I'm alone in the world, then I have to navigate it by myself and I have to be in charge of all those things. It just reminds me when I was, when my kids were younger, one of my kids looked up at me and said, when, when did you get to know everything? (laughs) When did you get to the point where you knew everything? Wow. (laughs) Wow. You know what what you're saying, Kurt? um, I think, I think it's, it's interesting in, you know, we, when you have a goal to gain wisdom, you obviously want to stay curious. And sometimes I think it's difficult to stay curious about ourselves and about, mm-hmm. especially those parts of us that maybe are not the most beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. that, and, and to stay curious about those. And, and, and when you're in relationship, like you are with your spiritual mentor and they say something to you, the, the, the first impulse isn't always necessary to stay curious about that. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think about the conversation that you and Amy and I were having just a few minutes ago, and I think about how how grateful I am to have, in this case with the two of you, people who ask me questions about me in ways that are curious and without condemnation. And I'm aware that how easy it is for us, like you're saying, like I want to stay away from those questions because I, uh, I guess my assumption is that whoever's asking the question. Like I have a map in the back of my head in which that question's like they're asking in order for it to be condemned. Yeah. And I think that we, we just have, we have acres and acres of parts of our stories in which that's the case. I uh, stay away from allowing other people to be curious about it because I only ever assume that the part that we're talking about is a part that needs to be different than it is. And it needs to be different right now. Hmm. Uh, the part of me that feels, uh, the part of me that can feel like I'm like, I'm not the, like I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm, I'm not the, sh- I'm the dullest pencil in the box. I, I was recently at a, on a retreat where there Wait, were I just of- got to say, I don't want to be in that box if you're the dullest pencil in it, because I'm not, I wouldn't even be like a nub on the end of the eraser. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm sorry, but if you're the dullest <laughs> in the box, I'm not even on the same shelf. I'm not, I don't even belong in the store as a matter oh of fact. Oh my gosh. In that Dude, pencil store. So, but I mean, this, it's just endemic. Like I, I mean, I was at a, at a retreat a couple of weeks ago and there were a couple of physicians there and we were, we were talking about this and they're, and they're kind of, they're my age and they're like, my goodness, like it's the same for everybody. Everybody in medical school is sure that like they, they have to, because like, they're just, they're not smart enough. They're, they're just not. And, and this becomes kind of this thing that gets drilled into you and you have to stay with it. And this is the story that I tell. I'm not smart enough. I'm not smart enough yet. I'm not smart enough yet. And you burn a lot of energy telling the story, I am not enough. I have mm. to be more. I'm not enough. I have to be more. And one of the things that the, the scriptures, I think, do, and, and, that, and that our community, when we talk about these confessional communities, one of the things that they do very powerfully, if we allow ourselves to be receptive to what they offer, if we allow ourselves to be immersed in them, they begin to, just by sheer inertial force, tell a different story for us. 
And today, we when we explore a little bit, we're going we're to dip our toe into the eighth proverb, Proverbs chapter eight, and we return to it as uh, this picture where wisdom is a is a lady who's speaking, and she is telling a story. And it dovetails perfectly with this notion of what we what we call the narrative domain of the mind. This idea that we are storytellers. We've talked about this on other episodes before, this notion that human beings tell stories like no other creature in the world does. Our stories are all told. My story, your story was told about you, for you, even before you're born. Parents are thinking things, not everything which is so great. Then we get into the world and they're still telling our story until we eventually have the chance to tell more and more of it on our own. But we never end up telling our story by ourselves. It's always told collaboratively. And even if I feel like I'm the one who's in charge of my story, there are always going to be other people who are part of that, other voices, even people who aren't even around anymore. Our stories are mostly told without words, just like a great motion picture, just like a great painting. We want to tell our stories in order to be heard. Even, even if, even, you know, there's the, there's the part of me that even, even, even the part of me that doesn't want to tell you about certain parts. I mean, you know, you know, I've, we've, we've had some vulnerable conversations in our, in over the course of our friendship. And in the moment, just before the story leaves my mouth. I'm like, am I? I'm like stepping off the cliff into the dark. Is this a good idea or not? Not so much because of you, but just the very nature of how shame works. Right. But the reason I'm doing it is because I want this to be heard. And I tell you, and I land on a like a completely reliable, flexible, thick net that holds me. Because I, 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 because I can't live with this in my head by myself. And then the fact that like I'm only able to tell my story is told in the way that it is only because of the one who's listening. I don't just tell it to the wind. I have to tell it, when I tell it to you, that story becomes something different than what it was when it was banging around the isolation of my head. Hmm. And we also see that we are storytellers directly as a function of being made in God's image. Just remember this. That remember, just keeping circling back around. That when we get back to you know, when we get back to uh, Proverbs eight, we're going to see that the way we tell stories is all part and parcel of Genesis one and two, and it's all part and parcel of Proverbs eight. That God is a storyteller. He's in the, in the course of the scriptures. He's telling a story about his relationship with humans, and it's not just the story that's being told, but it's the nature of how the scriptures tell it, which, as it turns out, is the same way that we end up telling our own story. We do this all the time. Like, we are repeating things over and over. We meditate on ourselves. That's what we do. I'm Like, I'm thinking about me day and night, right? You read Psalm 1, the first psalm, and it says, meditate on, on the law, right, on, on the Torah. Like, meditate on the story of the scriptures day and night. Like, no, man, I'm, I'm, Kurt's going to meditate on Kurt day and night. And in fact, I kind of get what I pay for <laughs> by, by, by doing this. This is, you know, the, the scriptures of Kurt meditating on them both day and night while his tree withers. You know, so there is this sense, again, that we, we get back to that sense that these, these scriptures are ancient Jewish messianic 
meditative wisdom literature. All six words are hugely important because they correlate with the parts of our own story. We like to say we are the scrolls on which God and humankind are writing things, each of us. And this is completely tied up in the process of attachment. The process of how we like to say a newborn comes into the world and that pre-mature, immature infant brain is looking for a mature adult brain to help organize itself. Mm. And we have this process where we come to tell the stories that we, we, the way that we do. So it's not just what are the facts of my story, but how do I tell it? Do I include the parts of my story that are painful? And have I made sense of them? Am I aware of the anxiety that I carry that actually got started three generations ago and nobody dealt with it? And now it's kind of come to inhabit itself in me, like in really concentrated ways. And now I've got all kinds of symptoms and I think that it's all about me. What is it turns out? It's about the trauma that happened. I, I, I mean, I was, I was listening to uh, a, a patient just the other day who was talking about this anxiety that they carry and for as long as they can remember since they were a little kid they don't know everything and then they started to describe what happened to their grandparent where they had a grandparent whose parent one of their parents when that grandparent was six was killed in a train accident and the grandparent the the father who was killed the other parent couldn't tolerate it, became an alcoholic, married a, another person. And that person, that marriage was really hard. And that then became the patient's grandparent. And one thing leads to another, but nobody ever talks about the death of that young father. When the daughter, when, when, when the son of that couple was six. Right. Can you imagine? And so this story, these, these stories, like they get held in us. And this whole notion of how attachment then generationally gets passed down, whether we end up being secure or insecure forms of it, and how we become outposts of wisdom as far as our attachment is concerned, based on the degree to which our secure or insecure forms are coming forward. And it's not always easy for us to even be aware that that's happening. I'm just trying to get through my freaking day. Right, right. And so the whole notion of becoming wise, I, I can think, oh, it's just an accumulation of knowledge, of information. When I have to come to terms with the fact that my capacity to even be receptive to that skill set of living well relationally in God's world deeply depends on the degree to which my attachment is relatively secure or insecure. This brings us back then to, yeah, go ahead. I just want to say that, that you know, as we've talked about in previous episodes, just in case there's anybody out there that's thinking, you know, I didn't, I wasn't attached as a child, I'm doomed. I, you know, I, I, that, that, yeah. that the good news is there's, you know, you can still, we can still co-regulate with one another. And we can be in relationship with people and there is hope to feel that attachment, even if you didn't feel it as an infant. It's work, right. but right. it's doable. 
right? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and the patient that I just rec- that I just that I just mentioned. I mean, one of the reasons why I think that they feel the weight of their anxiety the way they do is because so much of what they feel isn't just their own. Mm-hmm. It's the anxiety of three generations worth. Yeah. That has yeah. piled on. And what was significant I think for this person was for them to like oh, kind of like wake up to the fact that oh, this isn't this isn't all me. Right. Uh, we've mentioned this book before, Mark Wallen, It Didn't Start With You. Yeah. A really beautiful treatise on generational trauma and epigenetics. And the good news is that when we are beginning to tell our story more truly to listeners who want to be in the room with us, and particularly the parts of us that we would really rather stay out of the room, our story begins to change. Yeah. And this is, in, so So to emphasize what you're saying, Pep, for our listeners who maybe are hearing this for the first time, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so screwed. Right. Like the news is really good that we really believe that the gospel comes and tells a very different story and not in the abstract, but it wants to tell that story in an embodied fashion, whereby which we are hearing it through the eyes and voice and body language of another human being. Not unlike what has happened so often in our relationship and our relationship with, with Amy. Just such a a relief, which is why, you know, we, we said, I mean, I can't I can't wait to get to Fridays when we're gonna right. do these recordings. One of the things that we discover in Proverbs chapter eight that uh, that kind of helps us in kind of weaving together these notions of wisdom and attachment and storytelling is that right out of the bat, and we're not we're not going to read the whole thing because it's it's a long. I mean, it's, a, it's an extended proverb, but the first thing that you sense is that the proverb begins with this calling, with longing. Lady wisdom is in the street, and she's calling for people. Like there is a longing that represents. God's longing for us. She's not just longing. This is not like a teacher standing up and saying, I long for you all to make straight A's so that I look great as a teacher. This is the hen who is longing for her chicks, as Jesus talks about as he looks over Jerusalem, how I have longed to bring you under my wings as a mother hen brings her chicks under her wings. This is this, Lady Wisdom is calling and saying, I want you to long for me. And this longing takes place in prominent places of both development and relationship. What do, we, what do we mean by that? That we have different kinds of longings at different stages of our life. I have a different longing when I'm two, even than when I'm four, than when I'm 10, than when I'm 17, when I'm 60. We have these different longings. And so every time we pass into different developmental stages, we're going to awaken to particular longings that we have. And wisdom is calling in those particular places saying, yeah, here's going to be a crucial moment where you're going to need me because you're now moving into a stage of development that like you've never been before. You don't, you're right. You're like Augur. You are a brute. You have no idea. But she's not saying it with that voice. She's saying it with a voice like, oh my gosh, here we are. We're in a new stage. Let's do this together. Hmm. But it also is something that we need in relationships. I mean, I've been married for 36 years and dude, like my wife needs new doses of wisdom to live with me every day. Like she, she's like, yeah, I, th- I think I know you. But then like, you know, just when I think I do after 36 years, just when I think I do, 
some other part of Kurt Thompson shows up in the kitchen. And she's like, oh, my gosh. I, you know. Yep. I she's, know. She, she's, she's much kinder than, than I am portraying. She's very, she's very kind in this regard. But, like, there is a sense that even in relationships, like, we, the wisdom of navigating very, very small moments. You know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those days where, like, oh, my gosh, this is a day when I think we're going to have sex at the end of the day. And so, like, I'm a dude, so I'm like, I, I, I know the way it works. Like, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to not mess this up. And I'm afraid on too many occasions, <laughs> the moment has arisen in which at like somewhere, somewhere between, you know, dinner time and, you know, live action. Yeah. I, I say something and the thing I say, it could be two, it could be a two word phrase said with the wrong tone. It's the wrong question. It, it, it's something. And my wisdom has temporarily gone to the bathroom and I'm left on my own. And like, it's not happening tonight. And it doesn't matter. Like, there's no coming back from the, I have jumped off the cliff. There's no coming back. We have, I mean, it, it can happen in, like when, when, when I, you know, I, I say something where I, I become impatient. I become like all these things. And here's the thing about, like Lady Wisdom appears in this text, appears to be well aware that this is who we are and does not appear to be impatient with us. She realizes that our developmental stages Again, keeping in mind that this is all part of my attachment process of growing and becoming increasingly securely attached. When we read echoing from Proverbs, echoing into the Jeremiah passage of 616, thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look, ask where the good way lies. Ask for the ancient paths and walk in them and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. The whole notion that Jeremiah is saying, stand at the crossroads and look. It implies that like, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know where to go. We stand communally and look. Again, it's acknowledging that I'm not wise and that I'm going to be curious and I'm going to have a certain slowness of pace to look and ask for the ancient paths, it's a long look. It takes time. We live in a world in which I not only want to have information, I want to have it quickly. I become anxious if I can't, if I'm faced with a decision and I can't make that decision right now. Because at some level, I'm worried that if I don't have the right answer and I don't have it quickly enough, something is going to happen to me. And that's about attachment. That's about there's a certain anxiety that if I don't get this right, you're going to leave. Somebody is going to leave. I'm going to be left at the end of the day. You just totally changed my perception of two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled by. Mm. Why do I want to take the road less traveled by? Why am I always wanting to take the road less traveled by instead of standing at the crossroads and seeing the well-worn path? Yeah. Interesting. So, Kurt, do you remember when you were at Hope Hills Camp and they had the thing with the white pom-poms? Dude, oh my gosh. You know, the all of the volunteers line up. They, they line the side of the road, both sides of the road. And for every family that comes in, there's all this cheering, 
waving of pom-poms, signs, balloons, you name it. It's, I mean, the, the, the kids that are coming in have never really had anything like this. You know, to me, that's just a picture of being seen and, and allowing them to feel known in that moment. Yeah. I want to share a story about how this impacted one dad. It's, he, he wrote this into Hope Hills Camp after, just after attending the Hope Hills Camp. We have a five-year-old nonverbal son on the autism spectrum. In the world of disability, it's the little things that are the big things. The coffee was awesome. The community and stories that you're helping to bring together are so, so needed. But it was the line of volunteers with white pom-poms that has gotten me choked up about a half a dozen times in the last couple hours. My sweet baby boy is five. He is the joy of our lives. And he has never been invited to a birthday party. Mm. He has never kicked a soccer ball the wrong way on the field and been cheered for it. Mm. We have barely even had birthday parties for him the last couple of years. But a line of strangers with pom-poms tonight, it took everything in me to hold it together. All I could do was look down at him as we walked through that line and try to avoid being a sobbing mess. Mm -hmm. For the rest of my life, it will be a moment I treasure. You know, Pep, that's just an amazingly beautiful story. And if you didn't know it already, Hope Heals Camp is a week-long retreat and year-round community offering rest, resources, and relationships to families experiencing disability. And we're very excited to be sponsoring five families to camp this summer. With your help, your tax-deductible donation will go directly to scholarshiping these families. So you can click the link in the show notes or go to hopeheals.com forward slash BKP. That's H-O-P-E-H-E-A-L-S dot com forward slash BKP and donate. Any amount is helpful. And together, we can help make a big difference. Yeah, and it's and so this whole notion of wisdom pushes against my urgency. And my urgency is often wrapped up in my anxiety about, you know, if I, if I don't have what I need, when I need it, how I need it. It's calling forth the part of me that believes I'm not wantable, that believes I'm not okay to begin with. And so then we get to eventually we 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 recognize that Jeremiah six sixteen is echoing this notion that we are dealing with meditative wisdom literature when we're dealing with it when we're dealing with the the Christian and the Hebrew the Hebrew and, and Christian Bibles and when we are dealing with ourselves we are meditative creatures we we can't we can't be figured out a I can't figure myself out by myself. Right. And B, I can't figure myself out linearly. It's not just going to be one long linear progression, just like a straight arrow. Right. I'm going to be revisiting things over and over again. How many times do we work with people who, you know, something old that they've been dealing with and thought they had really worked through that six months, three, 10, 15 years ago, comes back into the room and they're fully exasperated with themselves. I thought I'd address this. And it turns out, apparently not fully. It doesn't mean that you didn't do the work that you did before. It means that the work isn't done and Jesus is not worried about this. He's not 
sitting at the end of the road with a clipboard like and a stopwatch, like, why did it take you so long to get here? He's not doing this. He is more interested in our mastering the material of becoming professional human beings. And he'll take as long as it takes for us to do this. When we get to verse 22 through 31 of the eighth proverb, we see that this whole thing is a kind of a recap. It's a recreation narrative. It's a recapitulation of Genesis chapter one. This, these set of verses, again, I would encourage our, our readers to go read this, this section of it. It's detailed and it's comprehensive because it's talking about how wisdom was with God at the creation. This withness of wisdom. This sense of like, oh my gosh, I, I, I feel my sense of being better able to make good choices when I am not by myself in the room. If I imagine you being with me and I make a decision, I can make it with confidence, not just because I know it's right, perhaps that's part of it, but it's also because if it turns out to be a decision that I find out later, I wish I'd done differently, you're not going to leave the room when you find out that I've made that kind of a decision. So this whole notion of wisdom being with us, so wisdom isn't just something that we have, it becomes something that we are. I acquire it, but it also, like, it's part of me. The text in Genesis is wisdom is at God's side, but it is also the very thing that is creating. It is a part of God, yet it is distinct from God, which brings us back to God's words to Moses on the mountain in Exodus when he says, like, who am I going to tell him? Who am I going to tell the Hebrews when I go to Egypt? Who am I going to tell Set me. And he says, I am that I am. All those things that you think, love, goodness, patience, kindness, wisdom, I'm not just, those aren't just attributes of mine. I am that. The essence of all those things is me. And so we discover that as it's not just about my acquiring wisdom. It is about becoming living, breathing, pulsating wisdom just by your very presence. Your very presence of being with others. You're being, your, your presence of being an agent who gives others the experience of being seen, soothed, safe, secure. Your presence standing at the crossroads with others when they also are urgently wanting to just blow right through it. But you're going to be with them. And in so doing, we, as you were pointing out earlier, when it comes to the narrative domain of the mind's activity, we have the opportunity to retell our stories literally from the beginning. That whole process of developing earned, secure attachment raises the question of, with whom am I seeking wisdom? What does it mean for me to be truly known? This is where our podcast, you know, it's the, it's the axle on which it turns. We want to be truly known in order, in this case, in this series, in order for us to both develop, to acquire, and to become wisdom. Mm. I'm being known by that. Then to go on from that space to with wisdom, just like wisdom was with God in the beginning, creating in Genesis chapter 1, we also then go on to create beauty and goodness in the world, another one of our major themes. And recognizing that wisdom is something that we acquire on the journey of moving from 
insecure to an earned secure attachment process that all is grounded in the gospel. It's all grounded in, he set up shop and lived among us. He tabernacled with us. The word became flesh. He came to be with us. And as we get to the end of our time today, and we think about an artistic offering, I want to offer to us a little bit about David Wilcox. And uh, for those of you who may or may not be familiar with him, he's a singer-songwriter who's been around for a long time. And uh, I've, I've just really appreciated his work. And what I would invite you to consider are two of his pieces. One is um, a song called Covert War from his album Home Again. This is from back in the, I think, early 90s. And it's a song that tells, it reveals an honest story about what, what is it like for a person to tell their story about their trauma? Because wisdom is not acquired by avoiding our trauma, but by confronting it, by naming it in the presence of others who are helping us to regenerate, to recreate beauty out of the very traumas that we thought we couldn't withstand. And so that's one piece from David Wilcox, another piece that is a, a, a way that kind of helps facilitate that healing process. And another beautiful ballad that he wrote called How Did You Find Me Here from the album of the same name. How Did You Find Me Here? And uh, just really find that that particular artistic expression, uh, I, I would invite you to just do some meditating on it. And as you hear the words and listen to the music, allow yourself to be curious about in what ways do these words evoke in me a longing for wisdom? In what ways do the words and the, and the music evoke in me a longing for developing a secure attachment? And who are the people with whom that can take place? For our application today, I just want to invite us to consider a couple things. One, just think about reflecting on what wisdom you've learned from the story you tell yourself is true about the first two decades of your life. So uh, when you think about the first two decades of your life, what wisdom have you learned? It's helpful for us to, to kind of write some things down. What do, what do I believe is true about the world? What has been the wisdom that has really guided me in ways that are integrative? And do so from the standpoint of what we've talked about regarding attachment in Jeremiah 6.16, this whole notion of standing at the crossroads and being reflective, looking at the ancient paths, not just of your story, but of the story of others with whom you have walked. And then an additional piece of this application is consider, I, I would say, you know, up to three people, consider asking three people that you trust and respect about what wisdom they've learned from reflecting on the first two decades of their lives. What are some things that you can learn from those folks as well? And then the third part, which is even a little trickier, right. consider asking those three trusted friends how they see wisdom emerging in your life. Notice in what ways that wisdom is tied to what you're currently doing to tell your story more truly. And this, of course, can feel a little tricky because, I mean, gosh, what if they can't come up with anything? But mostly, what if they do come up with something? And what is it like for you to just be present and receive their words, about the wisdom that they have witnessed that is emerging for you. And so with that, we have our artistic offerings and our application. 
and uh, didn't know if you had any other reflections. Yeah, you know, I, first of all, I want to thank you for for leading me to David Wilcox for the first. I mean, mm-hmm. we we talked about him a couple of seasons ago, and I, for whatever reason, he had never been a part of my music that I listened to, and and he really is in the wheelhouse of the kind of music that I like. And it's I've downloaded a bunch of his music and and preparing for today's episode. I was just last night listening to How Did You Find Me Here? And it's a beautiful song. And um, I don't want to talk about what it evokes in me because I want the people to experience it in, uh, for themselves this week. But I really highly, highly recommend that. And just thank you for today, Kurt. Thank you for everything that we talked about on this podcast. And thank you for being my friend. Oh, right back at you, brother. I love you. Until next time. Hey, if you are uh, watching us on YouTube, stick around because Amy's going to be joining us for our bonus segment. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well. Be known.